We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Um, and in Spanish, vamos a estar en, uh, uh, en Marco capítulo 10 um, this night. Mark chapter 10. We've been uh, in, in the book of Matthew, right? Discussing the king and who he is, looking at Christ. And so as we enter the Christmas season... We wanted to look at this King Jesus, this God, and see how he is represented by all four Gospels. So all four Gospels, uh, Gospel accounts, they tell of how God has become king in and through Jesus, both in his public career and in his death. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are explicitly and plainly telling us the king is here. The king is here. The king has arrived. And so last week, Rob preached on, uh, out of uh, the Gospel of John, and he read about how this great God, or this, the Logos, or the Word, who existed before uh, there was ever a beginning, entered into his creation. So now it's not just this distant deity or this spiritual being, but now he's he's here. He said that he's created us and he has arrived. And so now this king, this God becoming king, is now king over life and death. And so I love how John 1.14 writes, he says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full, like like generous, full of grace and truth. And so here's a connection between John, the book of John, and and Mark. It doesn't really say, and I, I I just love this, historically speaking, Mark doesn't say that Mark wrote the book of Mark. What we find is that John the Apostle, the one who wrote like all the Johns and Revelation, that guy, what he did in the uh, coming out of, because he lived longer than the other apostles, he reiterated and made the statement to his disciples that it was Mark who penned this letter. It was Mark who went off on the journeys with Peter and collected the stories and shared and ministered alongside Peter. Actually, uh, Peter at one point calls Mark a son in the faith. And so Mark collected all these and with uh, first century historians and then this word of mouth statement by John himself, we understand that it was Mark who wrote the book of Mark. But then here's another sweet connection and very Christmas chic, if you will. The Gospels write about a heralder. We sing the Christmas carol, right? Hark, the herald angels sing. And so here, a heralder, right, a messenger, an official announcer, right, is one who grabs the attention of people to make known that an event or a person is coming. So we're going to switch back and forth. The Apostle John says like we just read in 114, that God the Word has taken on flesh. And then Mark says that John the Baptist is the heralder who announces that this God is Jesus. So we see words like behold, 
or look. John the Baptist says, the Lamb, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he's invoking this like exclamation. It's a, it's a shout. He's grabbing people's attention. He's grabbing people's attention because he wants us to notice that there's something coming from this God who has now taken on human flesh. So Mark chapter 1 opens up with this kind of understanding. Chapter 1, he says this, The beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark wants us to understand that this God who took on flesh is Jesus, and this Jesus who is king is a servant king. So how he writes is real quick. There's always this word immediate coming up. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus went there. Immediately Jesus had this conversation, interaction. And he wants us to know that this servant king, this God, this, this giant being, this generous God now taking on human flesh is not just a distant God, but it's a God that rolls up his sleeve and is with the people. And he's a God that's on a move. He's going to get his hands dirty. He's going to break a sweat. And so according to Mark, this King Jesus did not enter our world as a conqueror with, with swords and armies and bombs, but with tenderness, meekness, and love. See, Mark emphasizes Jesus' human side and, and Jesus' emotions more than any of the other Gospels. Jesus is the God-man. And so this account tells us, as, as I build this intro for us, this account tells us that Jesus lived with the framework of suffering and even suffering that would bring about his kingdom. Jesus was born to die. And in doing so, leaves a pattern for us to follow that honors him in continuing that kingdom work. And the kingdom work, it's serving others, dying to ourselves and our wants so that others are edified and God is glorified. It's a pattern of life. It's a way of thinking. It's, it's habit-changing. But it's formed by following Jesus, and it's transformed by the Holy Spirit as we walk in obedience. It's, it's little by little. It's not quick fix, right? It actually takes a lifetime. And so Jesus is a servant king, and the gospel account of Mark helps us to understand this title, servant king, this, this pattern of living, this identifier of Christ followers. That's, that's you and I, those of us who, who call ourselves Christians, right, little Jesuses. The title that we're taking on is service. What I've, what I've been seeing in my life, and even conversations Rob and I have with other people, is like a lot of times serving ministry or or good deeds, we're finding out that people, like, it becomes just like an event or a Google calendar, like, scheduled weekly time. To reiterate my point, it's more than these box compartmentalized times. It's a pattern of life. 
It's a heart change. It's a process, it's hard, and it's tiring. Why? Because we're building a Jesus mindset of having an awareness for others as we go about living and doing life. So it doesn't come naturally. I don't wake up in the morning just looking out for others' best interests, looking out for my own, primp the beard, put on a fresh outfit for the day, do what I want. My son Judah doesn't sleep. Like, it's, it's a big deal about, like, is these little things right, that lead to bigger things. So we're building little habits. Jesus didn't just step into the world and say one day, oh, I'm going to be tender and good. No, he was always tender and good, and he stepped into the world and said, let me show you how to do this. I've also found this in conversations. Because it's not natural, and we build this out, right, we're building this out, two things are going to happen. It's going to put you at odds with people, just, just flat out. Living like Christ, living gospel-centered, gospel-minded is going to put you at odds with people. One, because they just don't understand. They don't get it. But two, what I have found is that it'll put you at odds with people if those people are benefiting from using other people or looking down on other people for their own gain. You're going to rub them the wrong way. And what I've witnessed for a while is, is that missions work and service projects have become so compartmentalized, again, like Google Calendar, like just planned and polished. It has to look cool. It's got to be social media worthy, which just ends up being like a ton of hoopla. Or a lot of times it's just left up to like the church people that are get, you know, get paid, the ministers and the pastors. But when we look at when we look at Christ, when we look at Jesus serving King, we see a life of service that is meant for all of us. We're, we're in this together. And as you go, then we go, then you connect and go for the benefit of others. And so, yes, a life of service is complicated. It's interruptive. It's, it's messy. It's costly. Yet, it's fulfilling. It's joyous. It's personal. It's invigorating because it's good. And so the servant king teaches us that life is for service, and he has come to empower and enable us to continue this kingdom work. Mark chapter 10. You ready? Mark chapter 10, starting verse 35. While you're, I hear some pages turning, we're going we're gonna to look at James and John, but put your name there. Instead of James or John, put your name. I'm going to say Will, all right? Put your name there as we read this. Because I, I'm going to say that we aren't so different from James and John as we read this in mindsets a lot of times. But verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a question. Well, statement, really. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Almost like they didn't even think about it, right? And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. 
But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, James and John, a lot of times we want to look at them and we look at the disciples and we're like, what didn't you understand? But hindsight, right? Like we're looking back. If it was one of us, if it was me right now, if it was me and Rob, we'd definitely be asking crazy questions like this. Actually, we probably still do, but James and John, here's the deal. They figured Jesus would bring in a kingdom where he would overthrow the current Roman government and finally take back, quote unquote, what is ours. And so since Jesus was obviously the Messiah and they were in his inner circle, they wanted a position of authority. And the Old Testament talks about a Messiah coming, right, and a kingdom going to be established. And so they're like, okay, Jesus, you're it. So for them in that day, it made sense. A kingdom now. Let's do this. Give us the thrones. It made sense. But what they didn't realize was that the kingdom Jesus was bringing, especially in that time and moment, was not one of force or immediate takeover, but of love healing, community building, easing the tensions of people being oppressed, both spiritually and physical. So yes, Jesus is the king. Don't miss that. Jesus is, and even back then, was a threat to the political positions and the governing authorities, right, and the governing parties, but his plans are bigger than taking over a nation for political gain. He's more concerned about people. He was, he's a God that's for the people. A physical kingdom, that's going to come, but that can wait. I'm here for people, for you and I. Jesus left heaven and came to earth for you and me. He knows your name. He loves you individually. His plans are so much bigger than what we think. And so, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, we see Jesus' pattern of living and awareness for others. And I love this. He uses one of his favorite titles, the Son of Man. His statement reveals two things that people not only have immediate needs that should be met and cared for, 
Because in the kingdom of God, all we all receive grace and care and good things. But also that there is a, a, a newness of spiritual life that is needed. Jesus must reconcile us to the Father. Like we're lost spiritually, we're broken uh, physically, and Jesus is here to care for both and renew the two sides of who we are. And so this interaction with James and John, or we're inserting our names there, right? So Jesus corrects the error of their theology, the error of their, their Old Testament. Yes, it's Old Testament. Yes, it's biblical, right, as it may be and as they were thinking, but they were wrong. They had a wrong mindset. They believed that uh, they, they would receive a kingdom now, which then led them to have this, like, what I call an escapist theology. Basically saying, save us and take us to glory, Lord. Like, save us, do this, and let's be out. And this way of thinking still plagues so many Christians and churches today. I've seen the interaction. I've heard the interactions. I've, I've been in the conversations. Like, that's why it's so easy for us to pray. And this is what James and John were doing. Lord, come back and take us to glory. Or it becomes easy to think, Lord, it's getting uncomfortable here while we're waiting. So we cry out for your return. Or as one person puts it, we are so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. I'm telling you, I have a ton of conversations with people. This is way too familiar to me. I've prayed these kinds of prayers. When we talked about Jesus being a threat to the political positions, the idols of politics are keeping us blind to the needs of others and in a state of spiritual constipation. Mercy is not flowing. I, I truly hold to, the, to the, the, the thought that if, if you pray and press for Jesus to come back now or, or if we tug at the heart of God to come back but you are not involved in your neighborhood, serving your neighbors, if you're not involved in looking to love others, but you're sitting there screaming at God to come back and make haste, I truly believe that that's a selfish prayer. We need to be doing both. Lord, come back, but I'm going to do some work. You can't just say, Lord, come back, and I mean, just take me out. I've got fire insurance. That's detrimental to society. And I even say that you aren't praying like the heart of God, but you're playing into Satan's hands, and it's an anti-gospel. Also, if you're going to pray for Jesus to return, he better find you working. Because he's coming to judge what we are doing as Christ followers. You want to rush him back now? Again, I prayed these prayers. I've been James and John. I believed in this escapist theology at one time. So I love Jesus in Matthew 18. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the ones that wandered off? In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones would perish. 
So then I love 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Like, he's coming back. He's coming back, y'all. He is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You want to tug at Jesus' heartstrings? Tug because you're breaking the sweat, loving others. Tug at his heartstrings because you're just, you're going through it all for the sake of others and for the glory of God. Lord, I'm laying it all on the line. Mark 10, 38, he says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus is basically telling us that we must be prepared to share in his suffering, to share in his heartache, to share in his love for others, that, that we live a life so different that people will hate us, yes, even because of how we serve. Family, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you're, you will encounter scoffers and name-callers at the very least for loving like Jesus. But Jesus is telling us that we are here, that you are here, that you have been chosen for this time and place to serve as he served. And in doing so, we get to enact his kingdom now, and he joins us in it. Like, he doesn't leave us alone. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to do the work, to change our hearts, to change our minds. And he gave us his living word so we can go back to it and check our hearts and minds. Like God wants us to win. And he gave us the church. As broken as we are, I am a broken man. I'm telling you right now. But we are here together to do this. God is perfect. A good friend of mine said, may we stop running from the very thing God created us to be. I love Jesus' first sermon. The first sermon Jesus ever preached was actually out of the book of Isaiah. It's about Christmas chic. Let's connect the Christmas season, right? We read this in Luke 4. Jesus says, uh, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that. Jesus has a quick eye to see needs. He has a healing tongue to revive spirits. He has a gentle hand to lift others. He has a tender heart to be present in compassion. So I look at James and John and I see myself. And again, when our theology or our comfort leads us to not serve or to not have to look out for others' best interests, we miss out on living as Jesus lived, on experiencing the mercy and the grace of the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. But honestly, when we live with an escapist mentality or we don't live for others or for God's honor, we end up dishonoring God, 
who left heaven and embarked on a journey of humanity so that he could sympathize and empathize with us individually, personally, and in community. Again, spiritual constipation. If we have a a carnal or just an earthly mindset or a view of life, we will never see spiritual things. Sometimes, like me, sometimes we just got to be thrown out of our comfort zones to understand what it means to walk and step with Jesus. Yeah, baby steps, but for me, it's too easy to do these baby steps and then be like this, jump back. And you know, little baby steps and then jump back. Sometimes Jesus is like, let's go, Will. Whoop! And he throws me into the deep end. And it's beautiful. The king is here. Jesus, the servant king, has come with a proclamation of good news. Good tidings of great joy proclaimed the angel at Jesus' birth. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? First, I would say that Isaiah and the prophets, right, as much as they saw and wrote, I'm telling you right now, they couldn't picture the Jesus that we get to see and engage with. So Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like he's basically saying, like, who would have thought that the king and that this king would suffer for his people, but then suffer and die? Like, who would choose a king like this? Who's going to believe our message? And then enter Jesus. So it means that Jesus was the first servant to become our representative, fulfilling the law, living in perfect obedience on our behalf so that upon confessing our sins and professing our faith and trust in Jesus, we might receive his righteousness and eternal life and then live as his representatives and presence in service to and for others. That was a lot. So simply put, this is what we say at Hope Church. Have you made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Not just the forgiver of your sins. No, the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life. Jesus, I believe you and I will walk in obedience. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Again, not just fire insurance from hell. Not just, yay, I'm saved, take me home, Jesus. No, we have work to do. We ended in Matthew where where we read through chapter 9, right? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. That was Jesus' message. Do you think anything has changed? We got some work to do, y'all. Secondly, again, the king is here. The king is here. I want to read out of Philippians chapter 2 and read of Jesus' example for us, but also just the heart of Paul in the scriptures. So Philippians chapter 2 says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, like those are rhetorical because we have received that from Jesus, all right? Verse 2, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When's the last time? That I'm asking myself this. I'm telling you right now. I had to write this sermon and be like, really, Lord? When's the last time you worked out your salvation, you looked at your salvation in fear and trembling? Because it's so awesome that a God who is perfect will love me and enter into his creation for me and live out a perfect life on my behalf when I didn't deserve it. But he did it for you and then says, let's do this together. Let's show them how it's done. Let's rescue somebody from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Fear and trembling because God is to be honored. And yet it's so amazing that we should shake as we go off to tell people of the love of God for us in this Christmas season. That God would, would wrap himself in the body of a of a baby and grow in the care of his creation. Like, who writes a story like that? Except a God who is confident in who he is and powerful enough to do it and to break the chains of oppression and sin and, and literally kill death. Like, he gave death a tombstone. N.T. Wright, he says this, the servant is a role model for the Lord's own use, and the purpose is to establish his kingdom. So here's three questions that I'm pondering for myself, three questions that I'm asking you, three questions that I've been trying to lead in with conversations these days. Here's the first one. In light of Jesus' servant attitude and lifestyle, Am I living a shared servant attitude with a Jesus mindset 
Or am I living with an escapist theology like James and John? I'm good. I'm saved. And we go about our day. Second, which is a statement we make here at Hope Church and turned it into the question, which, and it says this. The gospel is about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. I think there's an awakening happening in the American church. we got to realize this. The gospel is about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. So what areas of my life are untouched by the gospel? Where does gospel saturation have to happen? Christmas season is here. Talk about missing a point sometimes. How will the gospel play out in your households this Christmas season? How will the gospel play out in how we give good gifts, even to people that will never be able to repay? Like, we can't repay Jesus. Christmas season is here. What does this mean and say and tell about Jesus? My third question is this, where am I serving and who am I serving? See, at Hope Church, yes, absolutely. We're a community, we're a family, right? So definitely. But, but where am I serving? Who am I serving where we live, learn, work, and play? Again, and back to me, I have the process to do this. What do our dinner tables look like? Do you bring people around of diverse backgrounds? Socioeconomic diversity. Think different than you think. Not just for unity's sake, but, but to love them like Jesus loved them. Look at, look at the dinner tables Jesus sat at. Serving and loving others who can never pay us back. And I, as, we, as we look at where am I serving and who am I serving, like, let's not just process that like checklist right, or write it out, but literally ask Jesus to reveal areas that he would have us to use our gifts and resources and the uniqueness of who you are to be able to serve in different places. Like, let's not overcomplicate this thing as we build a pattern of living like Christ. But like, let's pray through, Jesus, can you give me an imagination, a creative way to love others, to see your world as you saw? Like, and think about the imagination. God said, I'm not going to be just a distant spiritual being. You know what? I'm going to take on flesh, and I'm stepping into it. I'm crossing the threshold. That's, that's some creative stuff. How can we live like Jesus? How can we think outside the box? How can we serve the greater community together? Jesus said it. Hey, let's figure it out together. Amen? Jesus, the servant king, not with the big old robe sitting on a throne, but, well, in my opinion, in a jean jacket, rolling up his sleeves, ready to do some work. He's here to do some work, and he wants to join us in the work that he prepared for us to do. Let us stop running away from the calling that he has in our life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, your, your, your mercy. Jesus, your, your obedience to what you have, to what God has called you to do.
what, what the, 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 the message that the Father had, the mission that the Father had. Jesus, you accomplished it, and then you send us out, and then you sent your Holy Spirit out, and then you gave us your word. Father, you want us to win. You want us to be able to love others as you have loved, and so you've given us the tools. Father, check my heart. Set aside the hindrances. What's, what's the spiritual constipation in my life that's hindering me from loving others, seeing others as you saw them, helpless and without a shepherd, without a friend? Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you love us. Jesus, thank you that, that you like us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.